Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. It is well known that George Soros and his Open Society Foundations are major funders of left-wing advocacy, but a new report from the Media Research Center shines the light on one facet of that advocacy. According to MRC's research, Soros and his associated philanthropies have funded 253 organizations involved in activist media worldwide. Joining me and my colleague Sarah Lee to discuss Soros' funding of left-wing media, the broader universe of foundation-funded journalism, and what it all means is Media Research Center Associate Editor Joseph Vazquez. Uh, Joseph, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the work you do for MRC? Well, um, well, I graduated from George Washington University in 2018 I, um, with a degree in political science. I actually had no intention of getting into journalism initially, but I, the MRC has always been on my radar to help me maintain conservative principles in school. So when an uh, opportunity opened up to me to be able to get an employment as their business writer covering finance, economics, dark money, and George Soros, uh, ironically, um, you know, I jumped at the opportunity and then, you know, developed a great relationship with Brent Bozell and my former boss, uh, Dan Gaynor, um, who, who had initially hired me. And I've been doing their work, uh, doing work on George Soros and campaign finance, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, and now managing big tech issues. Um, our Free Speech America department, our censor track database that covers all of the latest in big tech censorship news and then documenting individual censorship cases. I oversee all of that. I wear many hats, you know, but um, I'm very involved in, in, um, in making, you know, and in, in taking the fight, you know, on, on the conservative front in different, like in different, in, in different ways. So um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of this mission to, to fight on behalf of, of conservatives, you know, against the liberal media hegemon, you know, that we're standing up against. And so, the, yeah. So in your most recent uh, research product, uh, you guys looked into George Soros and his uh, funding through the Open Society Foundations of uh, liberal journalism and liberal media projects. How much of it does he how much of it does he fund? (laughs) Well, this is, you know, well, the 253 number that you mentioned, that's just what we were able to count just with our with our small team. Just how many of these media organizations that are spread across the world that he happens to be tied to. And we calculated at least about $131 million in funding collectively just to these 253 organizations alone. And that's just between a four-year period between 2016 and 2020. And as you know, when it comes to Soros, his radical messaging on climate change, whether it be abortion, Marxist economics, a, a litany of leftist issues, you know, they're amplified by these organizations that he funds. And you wonder why there's such a massive liberal media bent, you know, uh, you know bent when it comes to um, the liberal political philosophy that identifies the media media that we deal with today, you can trace a connection back to Soros. As a matter of fact, we just released our third and final report on this series yesterday that identified 54 individuals, whether in activists and news media, that are connected to Soros via their connections to organizations that Soros funds, like one of them being Lester Holt, uh, another one being Christiana Amanpour. They sit on the boards of organizations that George Soros funds to the tune of millions. And then you're wondering why their coverage always skews to the left. Well, you can trace those connections either back to Soros or you could trace it back to money. I mean, Soros is involved in trying to shape the global media narrative. He's not just involved in American politics. He's trying to shape the political narrative in, a, in multiple different countries as well. And he's using the vehicle of media to change the hearts and minds so that people can think like him, especially the next generation. So this is what this series exposes is just how dangerous it is for one individual 
to wield this much influence over the global political narrative. It is, it's, it's downright scary. Soros said this in 2002 that, I, that is just absolutely chilling. It was a quote that was chronicled by late New York Times reporter Michael T. Kaufman in his book, Soros, The Life and Times of a Messianic Billionaire. But in sum, in a one-liner, he said, Soros says this, quote, my goal is to become the conscience of the world, end quote. I mean, so if you just see that and reflect it in the amount of money he's willing to dole out to politics, to media, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to make his radical open society worldview a reality. Uh, Sarah, you're... Do you have anything to add? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I actually, when I talk to people about Soros, and I've enjoyed reading your work on on this, Joseph. Um, is it Joseph or Joey? Which one do you prefer? Okay. Yeah, or, I, mean, I go by Joey. Okay. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm often asked, because we do, obviously at Capital Research Center, we do a lot of work on Soros as well. I know you've actually quoted us in some of your pieces, which thank you for that. Um, but one of the things I'm often asked is what is his end goal? What is the end goal of this guy? I tend to always think that it's just, you know, he, he can he does it because he can. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that he's not really much of an ideologue. Not really. He just has the money. He has the time. He has probably some agenda items that benefit him. But the biggest question I get asked, and certainly when it comes to like the, uh, the, the Soros DAs and now with this disinformation uh, report that you've done, is why is he doing this? What, what does he gain from shaping the narrative worldwide in terms of the news? Well, look, well, look at it this way. I mean, if you control the flow of information, you are able to have an influence on in how people think about specific issues. I mean, look at just the young electorate, you know, the next generation, you know, it, it skews very far to the left. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of things that he's poured money to over the years, whether it be in education, whether it be in media, whether it be in politics, that's going to have an effect. Source plays the long game. And you talked about his goal. Uh, you know, like what is it? What is his? What is his interest in all this? Well, in 2019, he spoke. He did an interview with the New York Times, and you know, it's rare for Soros to do these kinds of interviews because he's rarely in the public eye because he likes it that way. But in 2019, to the New York Times, he said that the arc of history doesn't doesn't bend on its own. It needs to be bent. I act. I am actively engaged in trying to bend it in the right direction. So, what does it mean? It means his radical political view and. And if you just read the tenets of his open society, I mean, his open society worldview, Investors Business Daily released an editorial in 2015. Around, I think it was around the time when Brexit was becoming like a big thing for the UK. As you know, Soros was vehemently, was, was radically against the UK leaving the European Union. And Investors Business Daily took issue with that, the editorial board, and they wrote an analysis about what Soros was doing and how he was getting involved. And they just summed it up in a one-liner, what Soros is interested in when he promotes the EU. This is his worldview summed up in a one-liner. Quote, this is from the Investor's Business Daily. One world government, end quote. Yeah, so basically that's world. megalomania, right? That's what we're talking about, yeah. It is. It is. I mean, I, the thing is, it, it, it's, it's radical, it's dystopian. He's trying to co-opt the script of, of Orwell's 1984 and making it, making it pretty much mm -hmm. a reality. That's, that's, it, so also is like making it his own, making his own version of it. You know, so he, so what does he talk about, you know, ad nauseum, whether it be in his books or whether it be in his interviews, he believes that America is too powerful. America needs to reduce its influence on the international stage and then in its place, in, you know, institute an international rule of law that kind of like sets the standard or sets the playing field, so to speak. America no longer is the, the overarching superpower that is, you know, the most powerful country in the world. Now it's subservient to this international authority, which is why he was promoting the EU as much as he is. 
So this is what pretty much what encapsulates his 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 idea. I mean, you know, the he hates national sovereignty. He hates the idea of nationalism. So in other words, if you're a proud American, Soros is against that kind of view. He would rather us rather people see themselves through the prism of a citizen a, a citizen of an international society rather than a citizen of their own respective countries. What as a matter of fact, academic analysis that would have been done about Soros and his philanthropy, they refer to him as a what? A quote stateless statesman. So what does it mean? He, I mean, you know, Morton Abramowitz, who was the former head of the Carnegie Endowment Fund, uh, uh, said this years ago. Um, he said that Soros, and this, uh, this is just a paraphrase, Soros is the only private citizen in the world that has his own foreign policy and can implement it. <laughs> so I, I've never seen any other billionaire described like that, not even Elon Musk. You know, I mean, he was, you know, up until recently, he was the richest man in the world. Only Soros has been categorized with this kind of dystopian view. But, you know, he's really one of the only ones that has been promoting this kind of radical view of the world. And it's separate from the boogeyman of the 20th century, whether it be communism or Marxism or socialism. It's its own brand. Soros wants to create his own brand of political philosophy. Uh, our colleague, our former colleague, Shane Devine, uh, read one of Soros's philosophical tomes right. a few years ago and wrote a series uh, on it for us. And... You know, he made very clear that Soros draws a distinction between his view of how the market doesn't work, what he calls reflexivity, uh, relative to classical economics and free market conservatism, which hold that the market is reasonably efficient, uh, and the class consciousness of Marxism, which Soros mostly doesn't hold, uh, and the the open society ideology. I do think it's important to sort of understand the distinction between open society. That's right. Uh, and Soros's particular form of statist economics versus the sort of classical Marxism. Uh, um, so, Going back to his media funding, what were some of the more troubling discoveries that you guys made? Well, I mean, if you just look at the just some of the media apparatuses that he happens to fund, I mean, these are outlets that wield enormous levels of influence just on their own, just in their own right. I mean, one of the outlets that we found that was arguably the most powerful was um, an outfit called Project Syndicate. Project Syndicate, it, you know, it works with world leaders, um, uh, the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, uh, Klaus Schwab. Um, former British prime ministers, um, Jimmy Carter has written, uh, is, is listed as a contributor as well. Al Gore is listed as a contributor. Bill Gates is listed as a contributor. Sundar Pichai from Google is listed as a contributor. In other words, the most powerful elites kind of converge on this one outlet to kind of project their views. And then when you look at Project Syndicate's influence, I think in 2021 alone, they said it was, they had their commentaries published over 20,000 times. It works with over 500 and eight media outlets across the world and is active in 156 countries. So if an op-ed is published on there, it gets projected to all of their outlets, their partners that they work with, and then the narrative is projected. I mean, one of the more, uh, one of the more recent examples, we remember the whole debacle about the redefinition of the meaning of recession. I mean, when that whole, when that mm. whole you know, became like a big thing. Well, when the White House Council of Economic Advisors had put out their statement um, right before the Bureau of Labor Statistics released their second quarter GDP report that was predicted to show a contraction, Project Syndicate had released an op-ed three days before the White House by an economist known as, uh, his name is Jeffrey Frankel, who was a, a Harvard economist who pretty much used the same talking points that the White House would then later use three days later. 
And, you know, what was the White House saying? He said, oh, it's not officially a recession until the National Bureau of Economic Research declares that it is. Like it's some sort of like cabal of... Uh, of which, is, which, is, which is always something that happens months after the actual exactly. recession has, be, at least has begun. Correct. I think, in t- I think the 2007-8 recession was just so long and so deep that they actually declared it during the recession. <laughs> That's right. So the funny thing is, is that Jeffrey Frankel happens to be a research associate with the National Bureau of Economic Research, and he was promoting his own organization. So three days later, after his op-ed came out, at Project Syndicate, this massive, the world's opinion page, as, a, as, as, the, as the outlet deems itself. The White House co-ops the same exact talking points, and then the media ends up taking that narrative hook, line, and sinker, and then running it, you know, so to speak. So I'm like, okay, very interesting. An NBER research associate comes out with an op-ed, and the one, arguably the most powerful... A media outlet in the world, and then the White House takes the same talking points three days later, and then projects it out to the media, and then the media run with it. So you're in this outlet is heavily funded by Soros. Soros himself has been published on that outlet about 115 times. You, you, so I mean, when you think about that kind of level of influence, it's downright scary. I mean, one op-ed that was released by um, a Soros-funded economist, her name is Mariana Mazzucato, during the whole COVID-19 pandemic. She pivoted off of the COVID lockdowns to then argue that if the world doesn't undergo a green economic transformation, the world may need a, quote, global climate lockdown. This is this was published and projected. Good luck with it. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. With that. I, you know, the 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 I, I this is becoming a recurring trope for me, but. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw after Argentina won the World Cup when they tried to have their parade, you know, to be like, yay, we won. Uh, so many people filled the streets that they had to cancel the parade because they couldn't get the bus, that the bus couldn't pass all the all the people. Uh, tell them they need another lockdown. Yeah, well, that's, that goes back again to what the question that I get asked a lot and most especially about Soros and others uh, in this same space, in the disinformation space or the we would like to, you know, ang- bend the arc in a way that we want to bend the arc uh, in whatever element of society we might be talking about. Um, again, you, you just like Mike said, you'll, you'll get to a place where the people will say enough. Uh, we're not going to lock down again. And then they kind of switch up their agenda and try something else. And so it kind of goes back to this idea of what are they actually after? Because as Mike pointed out, and I say they like this mysterious they, which is one of my least favorite things to do. Who are they, right? But as Mike pointed out, Soros. Yeah, we, we, we mean we mean we mean we mean that we mean the people who go sure, to Davos, sure, the Champagne Chardonnay socialists who you know that there are a few hundred you know a few hundred of them, and they have the support of people who are of social democratic political ideology, but not others. And that's what that's others. the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. These are not easy. Boxes to put people in. Soros has done so much work, it's kind of easy to put him into a box. He's he's so very often on the wrong side of these things. I, I get And he and he also and he also fancies right. himself a philosopher, so he's written a bunch of stuff about right. what he believes and what he wants. It goes even it goes even further than that, Mike. I mean, in his book, The Alchemy of Finance, I mean if, you know, his magnum opus on on his view on reflexivity and things like that, as a matter of fact, towards the end of this book. He, he says that uh, I am, this is just, again, another paraphrase. I admit that I've always harbored an exaggerated view of myself importance. And then he goes on and he says, quote, I've always fancied myself as some kind of God or economic reformer like Keynes. Megalomania. 
Exactly. I mean, so you're dealing with someone that not only sees himself as some sort of like philosopher king, but admits that he has a gun sure. complex. I mean, I mean, I mean, so I mean, if you think of if you what does a, someone with that kind of mindset about themselves haven't tended when it comes to having as much political influence as he does? As a matter of fact, your organization just released a report about how sources dumped twenty one billion dollars or something like that into politics since mm-hmm. two thousand. I think it was. Congratulations to the. Star and you Star actually Star quoted Star. us. Thank you for that in your piece. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I saw them like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, so it just made the point even more relevant. I mean, media influence, political influence. I mean, social influence. I mean, Soros is buying it all. I mean, you know, and for the purpose of what? If you, you know, um, when the whole disinformation governance board thing was, you know, again, by the way, Soros is connected to that as well through one of the outlets that we found. Um, but. You know, I was reading, I said, you know what, I'm going to read George Orwell's 1984 again, because I found it to be relevant. And at the end of that book, when it, when, um, when uh, Winston is getting interrogated by the apparatus, when he was, when the whole question of what their angle was, the guy just said, just for the sake of it, just for the sake of it, just because he could. And this actually aligns with how Soros views, you know, views the world. I think that, I think that's not entirely, at the, at the risk of playing <laughs> defender of Soros. I think that's not entirely accurate. I think he's, I don't think he's the, I think he is one of C.S. Lewis's omnipotent moral videos. Sure, omnipotent I can get behind that. That he believes that he's, that he's doing, he believes that if we got rid of countries and if we got rid of uh, the free market and subord, uh, subordinated it to central plan, to state planning, that everyone would be better off. So you I think he has a moral, in his view, there's a morality to what he's doing, which is interesting. Yeah, that's like the Greta Thunberg absolutely. stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think I think that he is profoundly wrong, but is profoundly wrong in a way. I mean, I think part of like I think part of his beliefs about countries are formed by the fact that he was a a man of Jewish descent living in Hungary. That was first taken over by the Nazis mm-hmm. and then was taken over by the communists. You know, I mean, if he couldn't have gotten away, right. it would not have ended well. Well, for I want to not to segue away from this, but I want to get back to the misinformation. Joseph, did you see the, you know, I think, did Soros back out of the WEF? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I've seen reports that saying that Soros did right. back out of the WEF. Right. I'm um, apparently it was about a week or so before the, before the WEF ever, you know, before the WEF happened, but. I don't know the reasoning behind that, you know, so that you know, never made to be seen. So I wonder what, what you guys think about what ended up happening at the WEF in terms of misinformation or disinformation with uh, Brian Stelter. Did you guys see this? <laughs> oh, yes, we did. As a matter of fact, uh, my team is currently uh, writing a piece on that, like, right now. But, you know, the, You're... the whole uh, apparatus about disinformation, you know, we, 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 again, we just talked about the disinformation governance board. Soros is heavily involved in that. As a matter of fact, you know the International Fact-Checking Network that manages all these fact-checkers that censor people on social media platforms? Well, Soros funds that too. <laughs> Soros is actually uh, heavily involved in, in the International Fact-Checking Network. And, you know, so if you post something that slaps up against the liberal narrative, what are these social platforms going to do? They're going to slap a fact-check on it and they'll diminish the leadership? And then you, yeah. And then you have the European governments because, I mean, obviously the thing that went viral was i want to say that was the european commissioner a a member Mm -hmm. of the european union's executive who said basically oh you'll have 
you know, hate speech laws in America too. They're coming. Um, That's what she's basically which predicted. Is a, which is a profound, which is a, yeah, which is a profound misunderstanding of our law. But because a lot of these platforms operate in Europe as well, the Europeans think that they have the right to more or less dictate policies to them. And we'll see what that actually entails. Uh, and the extent to which that's actually the case. Well, on that subject, um, something you wrote, Joseph, you know, so Mike's saying, you know, they, they're talking about you'll have hate speech laws in, in America too. Well, they are going to determine what is hate speech, right? Like that's the plan. And something that you wrote in one of your pieces, you were talking about, um, this is the one on the 54 acolytes in the, in the press, basically, that are linked to Soros. And you made the statement that um, Soros' $131 million in media spending has virtually insulated him from any serious investigations by journalists. And I see a very strong link between those two things, where if you're insulated from being re you know, reported on, then you get to sit back and be insulated and decide what is appropriate speech and what is not. No one's actually checking into you. And that's where, to me, the problem of disinformation gets really hairy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you're, it, the assumption is, is that you have a monopoly on truth and you get to be the determin, you know, determination of what's truth and what's fiction, so to speak. So, in other words, you know, we were just talking about the International Fact-Checking Network. Well, and it's, the IFC and and it's not just – and it's – No. And, and Well, and it's not just, it's not just yes. him because you've got other – uh, left-wing billionaires who are involved in... I'm glad you're bringing this up. You, know, you have Jeff, Jeff... Jeff, you know, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, obviously. Lorene Powell Jobs owns the Atlantic. Uh, Pierre Omidyar, through his various foundations, has funded a bunch of uh, not just, you know, media projects, but also some stuff on the disinformation, right. misinformation side. Uh, and then you have Warren Buffett's foundations uh, and Warren Buffett's family who have funded a lot of social liberal media outlets. Uh, Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation funds Rewire News, which is a, uh, an abortion advocacy platform. And then you've apparently got the federal government in there acting yeah. as the speech police, not funding it, but they've got their own speech police kind of uh, that it, the ten, it looks like agrees with most of what the sort of left side agrees with. I mean, I mean, one of the one of the things that's been both alarming and both sort of paradoxically both alarming and comforting about some of the Twitter files revelations is that there were times that the government went to Twitter, said, you know, ban this person, and Twitter said, actually, they didn't do anything. I mean, not as much as we not not as much as we would have liked, but. There were, there have been times in the Twitter files yeah. that this apparently happened, which is one really alarming that the government is doing this. But good that even the 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 old regime at Twitter, which was more aligned with the uh, with the left progressive movement and the disinformation cops, uh, wasn't you know just sort of you know yes sir it is good that they pushed back but the government uh, is ultimately successful in a lot of those things and then when you look at bringing it back to soros uh joseph and i'd like your thoughts on this when you look at who actually is in the white house right now what political party has the most uh sort of power and control in the federal government and how those people align with people like soros you start to see his fingers on that too don't you 
Exactly. I mean, you know, again, you know, I, you know, when you think about the disinformation governance board, I mean, it puts the Twitter files puts that whole Orwellian apparatus in a completely new light, you know, you know, you know so to speak. But what we found out um, through our investigative work was that the co-chair of that disinformation governance board, her name was Jennifer Daskal. She's the principal deputy general counsel at the DHS. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas had named her during a congressional hearing that she would be co-leading this. Well, she was the founding editor of an outlet called Just Security that does progressive uh, coverage on national security work, you know, from a progressive perspective, which is funded by Soros. But Jennifer Daskal personally worked for Soros' foundations um, as, a, as a research fellow covering, uh, covering uh, digital privacy, I think it was. But she, active, she was working for Soros' apparatus. And here she is leading... This Orwellian apparatus, you know, you know, and to find out that, you know, that they were coordinate, that they wanted to coordinate with big tech platforms and now the Twitter files are coming out and now we find out that the FBI was involved. I mean, it's, it's scary, but Soros is heavily involved in that. And they tried to build the DGB as being nonpartisan. How could anything, you know, being that's that that's that's that connected to an ideologue like Soros? But they had a bunch of but they had a bunch of liberal Republicans on it. Yeah, like they had Michael Chertoff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're all a part of the, the, the same liberal, the same progressive mold. But, you know, again, you know, the fact that Soros was tied to that. It's just a case. It's just a case in point. Soros is looking to control the narrative, not only just from the media side, but also from the government side, you know, as as well. And if you know, and if it gets more people to be convinced to think like he does, you know, we talked about earlier about what is his goal? What is his goal for the world? You know, and as a matter of fact, Soros actually admits what open society means when taken to its logical conclusion. And it's pretty. He pretty admits it's it's mindless. I mean, I think it was in Underwriting Democracy. He had said. That his, that his vision, the open society vision means, is that the, quote, permanence of social relationships has disappeared. The organic structure of society has disintegrated to the point where it's atoms. The individuals float around without any roots. That's open society, he, according to his own words, taken to its logical conclusion. It's just... It's just that sounds like nihilism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's 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 it's, it's bizarre, and, you know, and and that's why I'm telling people: do not look at Soros under the umbrella of communism or standard socialism. You pointed it out perfectly, Mike. You have to look at Soros in his own vein. He's creating his own political view, his own political philosophy, and he wants to convince people of that vision. And you look at it through his funding of education as well. I did a report in January of 2022 that saw the Open Society University Network. This billion-dollar behemoth that is grafting in institutions from all across the world. Arizona State University now operates underneath that apparatus. Bard College, Central European University, which he founded, is spearheading that effort. And what are they promoting? Critical race theory, climate change, abortion, you name it. Soros is involved, and he's trying to convince people to think like he does. And that's scary, especially on this kind of scale. Well, uh, before we let you go, Joey, is there anything else that you guys are doing at MRC that you'd like to promote? <laughs> well, we're, we're going to continue like monitoring uh, monitoring Soros' influence. I mean, that's you know, especially now in light of the research that we found, um, we're going to be doing more research on you know on liberal billionaires' influence in the media. We're also looking into liberal billionaires' influence on the Associated Press as well. Uh, they received an, uh, a grant, a million a multi million dollar grant to fund their climate journalism. We're going to be looking into that as well and seeing how it's affected their coverage on the issue of climate change. So that's definitely in the works. But definitely on Soros, we're going to be continuing monitoring this. It's it's downright Orwellian and scary how much influence this one individual has. And you know, the American people need to know about it. All right. 
Well, thanks again to Media Research Center Associate Editor Joey Vasquez for joining us today. We'll include a link to MRC's report on George Soros' financing of left-wing media groups in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.